Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Tens of thousands of supermarket workers in Southern and Central California have voted by an overwhelming margin to greenlight a strike if supermarket chains don't meet their wage demands. The workers are employed by Vons, Ralphs, Albertsons, and Pavilions. A three-year contract covering 45,000 supermarket workers expired earlier this month. The United Food and Commercial Workers Union, which represents the workers, accuses the companies of intimidating their employees and offering paltry wage increases to a workforce that kept showing up for work during the worst months of the pandemic. In San Diego, Vons employee Devin Hennigan spoke to partner station KPBS. It's finally time to get what we deserve, and I know we've earned this. We've earned a livable wage, and that's not what they're proposing. And that's why we're here. We're not going to stand for that. The union wants veteran supermarket workers to get a $5 an hour increase in pay over a three-year contract period. The companies are countering with a $1.80 raise. The next bargaining session is scheduled for this Wednesday. Despite bargaining this weekend, there's no new deal as a teacher strike continues in Sacramento School District. That means campuses will remain closed today. And as CAP Radio's Pauline Bartoloni reports, that's taking a toll on families. About two-thirds of students at Sac City Unified rely on free or low-cost meals they get at school. So the district set up nine sites to give away breakfast and lunch during the strike. Deidre Amaro lined up at the Clayton Wire Elementary School location. She says in addition to taking care of her elderly parents, she watched her five grandkids last week while their parents were at work. The kids are missing the school, missing going to class, missing their friends, you know, um... There's only so much they could do at home. Other parents say they've had to rejig their work schedules, take time off, or miss wages entirely. Alicia Narayan has five kids. She's particularly worried about her 11th grader missing more instruction after two years of disrupted learning during the pandemic. It's been very hard for him to go to school, for him to learn, for him to have anything. So it's kind of hard to put him out in this world not knowing if he's ready or not. Nutrition workers at the district say they gave out thousands of meals to kids last week, and they plan to continue for the duration of the strike. For the California Report, I'm Pauline Bartoloni in Sacramento. Student debt. It's a crushing financial burden for millions of people, including healthcare professionals who've worked hard treating COVID patients during the pandemic. Now U.S. Senator Alex Padilla of California has introduced a bill to help get rid of student loans for frontline healthcare workers. But the legislation's prospects in Congress are unclear. KQED's Farida Giovallo Romero reports. 
The bill would forgive or repay in full student debt for those who provide COVID-related healthcare services, including medical residents, home healthcare workers, and lab workers doing testing. Dr. Janet Kaufman at the UCSF Health Force Center says that would mean hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, could be eligible for the relief. The average debt for recent medical school graduates is more than $200,000. And so, she says... It makes sense to make it more targeted to those health professionals on the front lines in the hardest hit communities. Because the health professionals in those communities, you know, have the greatest exposure to COVID itself and have the greatest stress associated with caring for people. She means people like physician assistant Musli Jahate. She walked me through the lifelong Brookside Health Center in San Pablo, which serves mostly low-income patients. The Bay Area City has the highest COVID-19 case rate in Contra Costa County. So um, a lot of medical patients? A lot of medical patients, or not insured at all. Not insured at all. Recently immigrated, no documentation, but need health care. Jahate is an immigrant from Senegal. She grew up in Oakland and is now a naturalized U.S. citizen. Since the pandemic started, she's been here, seeing and treating patients with COVID. That's even though community clinics like Lifelong pay less than private practice. We went into medicine to help people, and a pandemic is a scary situation. But it's like we have to step up. We have to step up. She also had to step up at home. She had to take a second job testing for COVID to make ends meet and support her aging parents. Because my parents, um, since COVID, they, both of them let go of their jobs. They didn't feel safe. The U.S. Department of Education suspended federal loan payments and set a 0% interest rate during the pandemic. But that break is set to end in May, and Jahate worries about paying the $74,000 in student loans she owes. So, she says she'd like to see something like the Padilla Bell pass. I will be forever grateful because that, that will be a burden taken off my shoulders, and I can use whatever extra amount I can generate to further financially stabilize my family. There are a couple of programs that cover a portion of the loans for physicians and other health professionals, if they work with underserved populations. But the Padilla proposal would completely clear their student debt, if it passes. A similar bill introduced last spring in the democratically controlled House of Representatives hasn't advanced. Sources in Washington say Democrats have been busy with bigger pandemic priorities, but also efforts are being made to strengthen existing loan forgiveness programs. Senator Padilla's office says he'll throw his weight behind the congressional effort in the coming months. Dr. Sergio Aguilar Gaxiola, vice chair of Latinx Physicians of California, says there is urgency for some kind of solution for healthcare workers sooner rather than later. There has, has been an increase in suicides, for example. And there has certainly has been an increase in anxiety and mood disorders and even substance abuse. They have been working so much under such difficult circumstances. He says we need to do more to support healthcare workers, especially with new COVID variants spreading in China and Europe and now in the U.S. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randal Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Talks aimed at ending a strike by hundreds of unionized workers at Chevron's refinery in the Bay Area city of Richmond are set to restart this morning. It's the first bargaining session since the workers walked off the job a week ago over pay, health benefits, and worker safety concerns. KQED's Ted Goldberg reports. A lot has happened in the week since 500 members of the United Steelworkers Local 5 went on strike for the first time in 40 years. The labor dispute became national news in the midst of what some have called an energy crisis with gas prices breaking records daily. Workers on the picket line were joined by other labor and environmental groups, a member of Congress and a Contra Costa County supervisor. Chevron's managers and other workers have taken control of the refinery, which experienced two malfunctions that are under investigation by local air regulators. The company says it does not expect any problems in supplying the market with its products. For the California Report, I'm Ted Goldberg. After years of scrutiny and criticism of how the Bakersfield Police Department does its job, an agreement between the department and the California Department of Justice may force the department to make some changes. That includes how Bakersfield PD officers respond to calls involving people with mental health issues. KVPR Sarith Hawk reports on the changes the department is making and what's left to do. Francisco Serna was on his own street when he was shot and killed a little more than five years ago. He suffered from dementia. He was unarmed. He was 73. He was a father, a husband, a grandfather. His daughter Laura talked to Radio Bilingue after the shooting. His death sparked media attention all over the world and protest in Bakersfield. It was an emotional day in Southwest Bakersfield at the scene of that shooting. There's more questions than answers as to why a Bakersfield police officer shot and killed. 73-year-old Francisco Serna. Josh Stenner is a community organizer with the nonprofit Faith in the Valley. When Francisco Serna was killed, he sort of just turned everything to 11. Um, an already heated situation became even more heated. The California Department of Justice opened an investigation into the police department 10 days after Serna's death. Lyle Martin had just risen to the job of chief of the Bakersfield Police at the time. Even though Department of Justice showed up in 2016 and said, we're going to do this investigation, I knew it was going to take at least five years. I was not going to wait to see what they were going to say. Martin says he made it a priority to change the way the department responded to people experiencing a mental health crisis. I was going to go with what my heart and soul told me this community needed and what it wanted. He placed a Bakersfield officer full-time with Kern County's Behavioral Health and Recovery Services team. 
That agency has a mobile crisis evaluation team. Co-leader Emily Lyles, a licensed social worker, says police dispatchers send the team to emergency calls where mental health is an issue. It has increased exponentially year by year. I can tell you the more staff I have, um, the more calls we're taking. Lyles also helps run state-mandated crisis intervention training for police officers. According to the Bakersfield Police Department, only about 40 percent of officers have completed it. That training is specifically focused on giving officers a toolkit of practical knowledge of when I respond to a call, what are some signs, symptoms, behaviors that might indicate this person's experiencing a mental health crisis? Researchers have found that crisis intervention training is most successful when officers volunteer to attend it. Not long ago, BPD added a clinician to its dispatch center to respond to calls where mental health is an obvious issue during peak hours. Josh Stenner from Faith in the Valley says all of this sounds good, but... I haven't seen meaningful change, and I don't think a lot of the community members have seen meaningful change. Under the terms of an agreement filed in state court, the Bakersfield Police Department promised to designate an officer as a crisis intervention coordinator by late February. That hasn't happened yet. The monitor overseeing the settlement said the department has, quote, made progress without offering specifics. I think it's too soon to tell whether the independent monitor is actually making like a concerted effort to like make some of these changes. Stenner says the court-appointed monitor only recently reached out to community groups like his. He says he's looking forward to seeing how the monitor's first public meeting in Bakersfield goes next Thursday. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. If you are looking for a house to buy in California, this won't surprise you. Home ownership became even more unreachable for the great majority of Californians last year. And housing affordability was worse for prospective Black and Latino buyers. KQED's Alex Emsley reports. As many as three-quarters of people here couldn't afford to buy a home in 2021. That's according to a recent report by the California Association of Realtors, which also breaks down access to homeownership by race. In San Francisco and Alameda counties, just 10% of black households could afford to buy a median-priced home. Economist Oscar Wee says racial disparities like that are entrenched everywhere. We are still seeing those issues, and, you know, we're seeing those issues not just in some remote area, but in every part of California. Statewide, just 17 percent of Latino and black households make enough money to buy a home. Wee says that without drastic changes in average incomes and housing supply, affordability will likely get even worse this year. For the California Report, I'm Alex Emsley, renting in Oakland. And that is the California Report for Monday, March 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks so much for listening, and have a great day out there. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. 
Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.